Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm a pastor here at Covenant Church and just one of the elders that has the great joy of leading this church and serving this church as we go about our mission. And uh, if you're just joining us, we've been in the middle of a sermon series called He Would Love First, H-W-L-F. Uh, you may see people around here wearing bracelets that have that, uh, this bracelet you see on the screen, the same one. Uh, we have a few at the Info Center. If you're going, hey, I want one of those, we have a few for you if you want one. And what we've been basically doing for the, uh, the entire month of January and what we're going to keep doing until, uh, right until Valentine's Day-ish, uh, we're talking about love. How do we define it? How does culture define it? Where do those things meet up and match up? Where is that a distraction for us? Um, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, getting really practical, actually. And so uh, this week, we're going to be looking at what the Apostle Paul says about how we navigate the land between salvation and what is eternal. So it's trying to like find the truth of a postmodern world, finding truth in the land between that we are in currently. Uh, what does it mean to love in an in-between place? Next week, we're going to actually create a framework on how to deal with the difficult questions of a modern world and the way that love gets uh, displayed in the modern world. So I've gotten, as we started this series, and if you haven't heard, go all the way back to the beginning of January, I would encourage you to catch up um, on our website. You can look at a podcast, wherever you find podcasts, you can listen in. But we've, we've deconstructed what the culture says love is, and we've actually begun reconstructing it. And yet in that, I've gotten a lot of questions, uh, really specific ones from you guys, um, related to how do I deal with my friend who's uh, come out to me and wants me to go to their wedding? How do I come out to my cousin, neighbor, uh, brother who's transitioning from one gender to another? And those are like big, big questions. So next week, we're going to actually dive into a framework on how do we practically love people in a world that is getting ever more confusing and complex. But this week, this week, we're zooming out and we're going to ask the question, where are we? Where are we going? And what do we do in between? So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we continue reading as Apostle Paul writes this. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, Paul says, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So what's happening here? In this, in this portion of this passage, this comes right after love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, it does not envy. And, and he's given us this picture of love, this portrait of love. And then, then it gets into this kind of like, for now we're this, but then we'll be that. And for now it feels like this, but then it's going to be that. When we moved into uh, our house here, our current home, we have uh, three bathrooms, none of which had exhaust fans that vented out of the house. Bit of a problem. So, so you would shower, and you'd get out of the shower, and it was like a scene from The Shining, except um, like there was just water just dripping down the walls, and the mirror was foggy, and, and it was just a problem. 
it's not uh, good for your house. Two of them were vented into the attic, which that's probably a good place to grow mold if you're trying. And, and another wasn't, there's just no vent at all. And so we just kind of had to get that fixed up. So we, so we got that worked on. We, we got that done right. And yet what I knew in those early days when we were waiting for that fix to happen is you'd get out of the shower and you'd look in the mirror and I could see the shape of a human, right? I know, well, I, I'm not totally sure. I, I can sense that that's me. I'm pretty confident. If it wasn't, that'd be pretty creepy. I got a good sense it's me, but it's blurry. And in the absence of clarity, in that moment where I can't see myself in the mirror, it, it's sense but not clarity, then what do I have to do? I have to feel my way through my ongoing like morning ritual. So if I'm going to shave, that doesn't seem to be the best scenario to be putting a sharp razor to your face, right? You, you want to be able to see clearly. And without that, you're feeling your way through. You're like, I guess that's where my sideburn ends and my face starts. I don't know. I, where's my nose? I can't see it. And it, it became a problem. Well, this is what we sort of do. Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly. So imagine your foggy bathroom mirror. Paul says that's the kind of the world we live in. That's the, that's the land between salvation and eternity. It's this kind of fogged mirror where you get a sense for what's happening, but there doesn't seem to be great clarity. I have a sense of what love is. I know it's close. I feel like it's there, but it's, it still feels slightly obscured. It still feels, I can't quite get my hands on it. And yet he said, there's a future coming. There's a day on the horizon. For us, it was the day that Mark came and vented our things outside, outside of the house. And I was like, yeah, we can see ourselves in the mirror now. This is great. For us, for followers of Christ, there's a day coming when everything will be made right again as it was designed and we'll be able to see clearly again. The challenge for us is the in-between. It's between now and then. It's between now and the perfect eternal ending. What happens in the meantime? Because our world is foggier than ever. And we've talked a bit about this, that our world is a challenge because our world is ever more obscured. This is a postmodern culture. Postmodern simply sort of means we kind of make it up as we go and truth is fungible. And if we don't like today's truth, we make up tomorrow's truth. Truth is temporary and it's up to us to determine. There's everything's sort of relative. And that's the world we live in. That's not actual reality, but it's the world we live in. And so we find ourselves, if we're not careful in the foggy bathroom of the postmodern world, we find ourselves feeling our way through our days. We just sort of feel our way through it. We live in the for now, in the, the space between. So we can feel God, we can sense his love, but we don't feel like we know him completely. And we can't know the completeness of his love. Paul says, for now you know partial, but you will once know completely. So what are we going to do while we wait for that fog to lift? Some people go in a bunker and they're like, I'll just wait for Jesus to come back and then I'll start living again. Well, that, that doesn't really work, does it? That's not what you're called to do. Paul says, right after he says, you're living in this in-between, you're living in the, in the here but not there, in the already but not yet, you're living in that space, his next line is, give up your childish ways. And I think that's interesting. So what Paul is, is, is challenging us to do through this is saying, while you begin the process of working towards complete, completeness, while you are walking the path awaiting the fog to lift and for the clarity of love and Jesus, for that to be whole and total in your life, what do you do in the in-between? What is this land between for? And Paul says, give up your childish ways. Hmm. Mature. Grow. 
easy example of a place like this, one of these in-between places, one of these in-between seasons, engaged people. I don't know if we have engaged people in the room. We might have some engaged people. Or almost engaged people. Or hoping to be engaged people. This is where you, if you, okay. Engaged people are committed to be committed, which is kind of an in-between spot, right? You're not totally committed, but you've committed to be committed. No longer single, not yet married. Not out looking for love anymore, but if we're following the biblical way of things, not, um, it's fifth Sunday, so I'm, I'm making eye contact. Not out looking for love, but still waiting on love, if you know what I mean. We're engaged people. Not yet in the fullness of physical love. What does that season require of engaged people? If they're going to they're gonna follow Christ in that season, what is in that one aspect? It requires discipline and self-control. It requires keeping our eyes on love. Not the feeling of love, because if we keep our eyes on the feeling of love, that's going to lead down a path we don't want to go. We keep our eyes on love, the person of love. And we grow in maturity towards that love. Because feelings, while not bad, are quite magnetic. Feelings are compelling. Feelings are a blessing, but feelings are not to be our drivers. And I think, I think we can go with this. Feelings are not to be our drivers. Paul says, give up your childish ways. Something that marks the way a child goes is they are driven by their feelings. Lacking maturity, children are driven by their feelings. You, how do you know a baby is hungry? They let you know. They cry. What's wrong? Hungry, diaper, something else. I don't know. There's like three possibilities. That's it. But, but you never have to like, there's no test you have to do. I wonder if the baby's hungry. The baby will tell you they're hungry. Why? Because they feel hungry and they just express what they feel. Toddlers do the same thing. Toddlers, you think it's getting better. You think it's easier. And then you're like driving somewhere. You're on your way back from Target and the, to- the toddler's just angry now all of a sudden. The toddler is hungry and they are ready and they're going to let you know. And you're going, oh gosh. I mean, can you wait though? You start asking questions like, hey, do you mind if you just wait a little bit? You're so fussy. Just hold it. Does the toddler know how to restrain their feelings in that moment and go, oh, right, right, mother, we'll be home soon. Like, nobody says this. It's true. Their brains don't have the full functionality yet to even be able to recognize future truths. Their brains don't understand the concepts of future time and food security. Their brains don't know that when mom says, we have countless thousands of calories at home and we're almost there, the toddler brain doesn't go, well, I believe I can trust on these countless thousands of calories and I will have some of them soon. The toddler says, I'm hungry now. So what do you do? You drive through McDonald's. And what do you order at McDonald's for your toddler? A feeling meal, isn't it? It's a feeling meal. It's a meal designed after the feeling that you're aiming for. This is non-happiness right here. I don't like this. This is making mom unhappy. This is making dad unhappy. Everybody's unhappy because the kid's not happy. I got an idea. It's not a nourishment meal. It's a feeling meal. We want you to be happy. Just take it. And you throw the box into the back seat, and you race home, and you get there, and then you have thousands of calories that would have been much better for the kid, but <sighs> everybody's happy driven by feelings. We all know the feeling of hunger. I live with uh, three lovely women. They are all afflicted with a pretty common uh, malady. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's called immediate onset of hanger. Yeah. 
10 years ago, we were in New York City and we ran across this shop and my wife, who is well aware of her condition, her hangry condition, she picked this up and she's like, it's kind of like I got this. Um, this is the only known cure actually for being hangry is food. It, it comes on fast. A lot of people struggle with being hangry these days. It comes on quick. And when it happens, it happens. And there's not much you can do about it. My wife is also, um, well, we share, our children share our DNA. And they, they have taken on her, I know I have three women. I live with three. They're all hangry at various times. And it comes on pretty quick for all of them. Our youngest will wake up hangry. She wakes up in a, since, since birth, like, some kids wake up and they want to like play or they want to watch cartoons or they want to, and our youngest would wake up and just be hangry. And we eventually found out that if you had food ready or could promise her food was ready, that she would probably snap out of it. And yet she'd kind of be fussy and whiny and, and I'm going to show you in a minute, but she, she's, she would kind of like feel her way through it. And then eventually she would eat. And her line was always, she would be crying. She'd take a bite and she'd say, I'm happy now. <laughs> From full tears, the world is ending, took a bite, I'm happy now. I'm going to play the video so you believe me here. Yeah. Oh. It's a cinnamon roll? It's a what? It's a meal? Yeah. Is it breakfast? Yeah. Okay. I choose. Be careful, it's a little bit hot, okay? Oh. What do you think? Good. Yeah. I'm happy. You're happy? Yeah. Every day. You put the captions on that video on YouTube because we upload all our home movies. It's like all protected private on YouTube, but we all, we upload them there as the, that's where we store them. And the captions come on and it's, it's, it's word for word. And then when she's bringing the cinnamon roll up, it in brackets says music because she's going, <laughs> I'm like music. That did not sound like music when we were going through it. That sounded like torture. One bite, I'm happy. Feelings are pretty powerful. In the fog of the moment, when we lack clarity, we attempt to feel our way through a situation. The problem is that feelings don't exist to drive our behavior, but to ask us questions. Your feelings don't exist to drive your behavior, but to ask you questions. Jesus took his disciples to Gethsemane as he prayed and waited to be arrested. Betrayed by Judas, the crowd arrives to arrest Jesus, and we pick up the story in Matthew 26. It says, Behold... One of those who were with Jesus reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. The gospel of John tells us that this is Peter who takes his sword out. What is Peter feeling in this moment? In this moment, Jesus is being arrested. This thing is happening and it's got to be confusing and overwhelming. Peter is feeling defensive and angry, fearful. What do those feelings drive in Peter? The feelings drive Peter to pull his sword and begin to fight. That fight or flight response happens and he jumps in. He's feeling one and he just jumps. The question I would ask is what questions should those feelings ask? 
And in the moment, when we're unprepared, in the moment, it's hard to, to, to think our way through our feelings. We just feel our way through. But if Peter would step back and he would say, why do I feel defensive? Because I love Jesus and I don't want him harmed. Why do I feel angry? Because Judas betrayed us and Jesus is innocent. Why do I feel afraid? Because I'm insecure and I don't understand what's happening. He would be able to understand. He's growing in maturity. He's understanding why he's feeling. The feelings are asking him questions, not there to drive his behavior. And yet when we lean into feelings as the behavior driver of our lives, it often ends in less than ideal results. Paul says, love never ends. He's saying, okay, first you're here and you're going to be there, but in the in-between it might get messy. And then he says, what you need to do is begin to mature, give up your childish ways and mature. And then he says, because love never ends. It's like this kind of quizzical jump from one to another to another, but they're not disconnected. Love never ends, he says. The greatest of faith, hope, and love is love. So again, Paul pushes us back towards love. He pushes us back towards and love, not the feeling of love, but the person of love. He says you have to grow in it, mature in it, get to know Jesus, get to know love, and begin to embody love. Explore the depths of love, embrace the struggle of love. The most famous of in-between days, the most famous of these foggy wilderness moments in in all of Scripture is is God's people in, in Exodus. You might know the story, saved from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and slavery. They're, they're guided across the Red Sea as the sea opens up and God's people, they make it through and the sea crashes down and destroys their enemies. And now God's people are free. The Israelites are free, living in total freedom in the wilderness. Slavery is gone. They're already saved, but they're not yet feeling very safe, are they? We feel insecure at times, but we know we're totally secure. If you're a follower of Christ, you are totally secure. Not only is your day secure, but your eternity is secured. You are secure no matter what. And yet we feel insecure. There's good advice I've been hearing more of lately. I've been hearing this more and more lately. I don't know where it came from, but I'm glad it's getting out there. The question that we are to ask in those moments of of high-pitched feelings where we're just sort of overwhelmed in the moment, whether it's anxiety or anything else, what is true? What is true, though? Find me the fact of the situation. What is true? Yeah, but I feel this. Okay, but what is true? Huh. Oftentimes, those things are at odds. And if we don't ask the question, what is true, we may not get to the real root of the thing in front of us. This is what God is doing for his people in Egypt. As they're brought across the Red Sea— And the people grumble at God for, I guess, for saving them and then abandoning them, they feel like. They begin to grumble at God and they go, oh, what are you doing for us? And God asks this series of questions if you read Exodus and you kind of work through it. Have I not? They all start, have I not delivered you from your captors? He's saying, what's true about this situation? You're feeling abandoned, but what's true? You're feeling like I'm not taking care of you, but what's true? And then they grumble and and they, they well, we could have had meat if we were slaves. At least we had meat. Now we're out here. We're starving to death. You brought us out here to kill us. They grumble, they grumble, they grumble. You know the story. What's God's response? Have I not? Have I not fed you? I brought manna from heaven. The bread falls from heaven. Have I not provided for you? What's he asking? He's asking, guys, what's true though? I know you're feeling like you're not going to be provided for, but what's true? And over and over, God asks this question to help them escape their momentary affliction, and to get into the larger truth of the story. 
For us, I don't know when you feel it. A lot of people have the 1 p.m., 2 p.m. sugar thing. I have the 10 a.m. shakes. And I start feeling hungry. Feels uh, Sometimes you're in, in the world and you're, you're going through a season, maybe you're in a trial, and it feels like the world is crashing in on you. You ever have that? You ever feel overwhelmed in a moment? Like just in your soul level, you just feel, I am just overwhelmed. It's just too much. This is the straw. The camel's back is broken. It's over. In those moments, what happens when we ask what's actually true, though? Has God not been faithful? Has he not carried me? Has he not comforted me? At 10 a.m., I get to go, you know what? I'm going to eat another meal, probably soon. And if I look over at the wall of my office, I can go, actually, I have a lot of calories just sitting there waiting. I could eat right now if I wanted to. Maybe I could complain about it. Or what's really true? I'll get through this. My eternity is secure. We begin to, to, to speak different things into reality because what's true is often different from how we feel in the moment. So we have to fall back on that. And so the reason we spend so much time on this concept is we are living in a postmodern fog. And the invitation of culture is feel your way through. Just feel your way through. What is that? I don't know. What is it to you? I learned truth, I guess. You're supposed to feel your way through. And I would say that the scripture has been very clear that the way to find maturity, the way to grow, the way to to get into the land between, the way to go from here to there, the way to be an eternal people is to be a people that are rooted in truth. Because eternal truths exist and they can't be undone because God is love and God is unchanging because we live in the already And we can see the not yet, but it's coming. Paul says miracles and prophecies and struggles and wilderness will pass away. Your emotions are temporary. This feeling will pass. What's left? What remains? What one thing will remain? Paul says it. What one thing remains at the end of all of it? It's love. It's Jesus. The one thing that remains is God, the God of the universe, is unchanging and eternal. He's not going anywhere. So we go back to Exodus. And you ask the question, what are the risks of living, of living in the land between? What are the two big risks that we face? Because we are much like them. We have been set free from sin. We have been set free from slavery. And yet, we're not quite in that place where we recognize the promised land around us. A little bit of a wilderness that we're in. And so what did they run into? as they're supposed to be maturing and growing and and getting ready for the promised land, the first thing they ran into was forgetfulness. God saved and secured his people. God brought them out of slavery. And the people let that truth fade. God provided over and over. God brought forth food where there was nothing. And the people let that truth fade. They became a grumbling mess. So the first thing was forgetfulness. The second thing that the people of Israel ran into was distractedness. If you read Exodus 32, you see that Moses is gone for like 20 minutes and they build a golden calf. They literally take their jewelry and they melt it down and they build a new God. They get distracted. They get their eyes off the prize. The the truth is faded from them and they go, we got got to worship something. I mean, where's Moses? He was the one telling us about, well, I don't know. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. Are you hungry? I am hungry. Let's get a happy meal and then burn all of our, melt all of our jewelry, and then we'll just feel better about it. So they make a golden calf, and they're all worshiping a new God, and Moses comes back like, guys, what is happening? It was gone for 20 minutes. They were distracted. 
Why? Because they were feeling insecure. Scripture is clear on it. They were feeling abandoned. They were feeling vulnerable. They were feeling exposed. So they made a new God. And that gave them a temporary relief from a problem. So you and I, we live in a wilderness. In a wilderness like this land, like these days, like this era, is a preparation for the promised land. You and I are being prepared for eternity. We are in it already and not yet fully. We are being prepared for the promised land that is being prepared for us. This is the place to grow into our eternity. So being in the land between, we have to ask some questions. Like the Israelites, we have to be careful because we also forget. Follower of Christ, God saved you. And when we let that truth fade, what happens? We become a grumbling, self-concerned mess, and we fail to bother to love each other. It's all about me. We, like the Israelites, can get distracted. We get so up in our feelings that we wander off and worship all kinds of nonsense. Celebrities, athletes, causes, money, ourselves, whatever. None of those things are actually bad things, but they're not God. We worship whatever temporary security measure or meaning producer we can find in the moment because in that moment, we melted down the jewelry, we made the golden calf. In that moment, at least we feel a little better. I'm happy now. Man, that that hunger's coming back. What's true? What's behind that? Our wilderness is here to mature us and to grow us into love, capital L, love, into the person of God. So Paul says we look into a mirror dimly. We look into that foggy bathroom mirror. The question is, do we see what's truly there? When we grow in love, when we abide in Jesus, when we are centered in God, that's when we begin to see the picture of clarity that was created for us. Two simple ways to do this is you're going, okay, so practically, what am I supposed to do now? Number one, look back. Look back and observe what is true. Jesus came for you. That's true. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. Jesus offers you life in him. That's all true. That you were once and you now are. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's a transformation story. You've been transformed by the power of grace in Jesus. What is true? Look back. What is true? I once was And now I am. Second thing, look forward. That seems strange. Look forward. What is becoming true? Scripture says he's making everything new. And you are included in that. That he's offering you a life free from slavery, of chasing stuff, free from shame and guilt and pain. That Jesus, Jesus wants you now. And in the fog of the day, he's promising that there is another day coming. There's a better day on the horizon, that he is making it new, that he is removing all of the hurdles, that he's getting rid of the fog of the day, that he's bringing you out of the wilderness, that there is a promised land waiting, and that's what's coming. So what was true, what is true, and what is becoming true? And if we ask those questions, changes everything. The challenge for you today is to allow the truth of yesterday— and the promise of tomorrow to determine how you live today, not how you feel. Let the truth of yesterday and the promise of tomorrow determine how you live today. 
What is that promise of tomorrow? Revelation 21, verse 1. Then, the prophet says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.